sent by the Spirit. Sent by the Spirit. Uh, here in Acts 13, we're continuing our, um, our teaching and preaching through the book of Acts, learning from the church uh, what it was like then, uh, the inspiration from the church, some instruction from the church, some example of the church. Not everything that happened in the book of Acts is, is, is like a template for us exactly, because the circumstances are a bit different. But in every situation that the church faced in the first century, there's something for us to learn, be inspired by, be encouraged by, instructed by, and apply to our own personal situation, but I think also as a church. So that's why we're studying through the book of Acts, to learn from our amazing, heroic, early brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, let's read this passage here. Um, would someone read it for me? Um, because um, it's nice to hear a different voice. So could someone read Acts 13, 1 to 5? Could we do that? Yes, would you do that please? Someone, that'd be great. Okay. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Nigger, Lucius of Crane, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the and so on. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Say, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Silicusia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamaris, they proclaimed the word of the God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Thanks very much. I must say that's impressive in your second language. Uh, and some tricky words. Perhaps you should have checked those words before volunteering. <laughs> I, I think you did quite well, rather well. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> Excuse me, how to be a spirit-led church is what we're talking about today. We've got three things we see, I see, in this passage that have been encouraging me as I've been studying this for the last uh, couple of weeks. So three things. Oh, by the way, this is where we are, just for geography's sake. So the church in Antioch is here, and they're sent off, they go to Seleucia, and then they go on down to Salamis in Cyprus at the end of this passage, the section we've just been looking at. So that's where we are in geography terms. Uh, that's going on here in Acts chapter 13. Okay, resources, human. We're going to talk about three lots of resources today. Resources, human. Resources, spiritual or, or heavenly and divine. And then resources, deployed and sent. Three things I think uh, we can see here. So first of all, resources, human. What do we see here? Uh, let's, let me get back from us here. Uh, what do we know about Barnabas? He's part of this group here mentioned at the beginning of Acts 13 in, in, uh, in, uh, in Antioch. Give me some things we know about Barnabas. Prophet and a teacher. Prophet and a teacher, because he's included in that list of prophets and teachers here. Anything else? Son of Encouragement is his nickname. Yeah, that's right. From Acts chapter 4, right? Son of Encouragement. Generous. I think he is. He's a very generous character. Yeah, anything else? What role did he play in, uh, in Saul's life? Or Paul's life? Buddy, second. Well, they became buddies. Introduced him to the... Yeah. Yes. To the apostles. 
Correct. He introduced him to the apostles. He took him. He was a controversial character, but he helped to integrate him into the mainstream, if you like, of Christianity, which is a huge, has a, had a huge impact on the whole of history. Um, so we know that about him. We know a few other things. Um, he was wealthy. He must have been wealthy to be able to sell land in, presumably in Cyprus. He's from Cyprus. Um, back in that previous slide. Um, that's actually where he's from, is from this island, and he had some land presumably then sold it to give to, to meet the needs of the poor Christians in, uh, in Jerusalem. Um, he's a Levite, so he's from the priestly tribe. He may not have been a priest, but he was in that priestly tribe, very uh, highly regarded as a, uh, as a tribe of Israel. And it means he came from, when it says a Levite, it kind of means he's from good stock. You know, it's kind of the code of that. So, respected man, a generous man, a man with a personality, strong personality from various other things we see in the book of Acts. So, then we've got Barnabas. What about Simeon Niger? Uh, what, what do we know about him? What do you think we know about him? Anybody? So, the only thing we know about him is his spirit, is his, um, the fact that he's called Niger. Uh, that's all we know, which is the, which was the word black, right? So it could mean he was African. It could mean he had just significantly darker skin than average. Um, we're not entirely sure. Um, but it is possible that he was from North Africa, perhaps, or some part of Africa. So uh, we know that. Uh, Lucius, what do we know about Lucius? Lucius of Cyrene, anything we know about Lucius? They're all prophets and teachers. Yes. Yeah, most of these names actually. Yeah, Simeon, you're right. But Lucius, yeah. Lucius from, anybody know where Cyrene is? Northern Libya. And today, northern Libya. So from around that part of North Africa, how he ended up in Antioch, we don't know. Um, some people think that, by the way, the Simeon, Niger might have been the, uh, the one who carried the cross, but we don't have any definite evidence of that. Menaean, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. What does that tell you about Menaean? What do you think? Roman. He could have been Roman. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that, but yes, okay. Menaean, uh, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. I beg your pardon? Educated. He would have been educated for sure. Yeah, yeah. Probably highly educated. Probably in the top tiny percentile of educated people of that day. So very learned person almost certainly. Anything else? So Herod was a... A bad guy? Herod, this is Herod Antipas, um, who would have had a small kingdom in, or a relatively small kingdom in Judea uh, once he'd grown up. Um, so what we know about Menaean is that he was, another phrase, way you could translate the fact that he was brought up was that he was like a foster brother to Herod Antipas. So it really he was in the household. And princes of that day often had other well thought of people who were very bright or had particular skills brought in to be their kind of foster brothers to grow up with them, to be a community and to be people they could learn from and grow with. So we know this man was very well connected or his parents were 
This is someone in the higher echelons of society, very educated, comfortable about, around royal people. I mean, I know Leon's had his brushes with royalty, and I'm sure he's very comfortable <laughs> with royalty. <laughs> very occasionally, more than the rest of us, I would imagine. Uh, but I don't know about you, but I mean, I would quite like to meet the Queen, I think, at some point, but I, don't, I think I would not be feeling comfortable. I don't know, but I guess I wouldn't. I, I don't know. This is like someone who's been to Harrow or Eton's for, school, for schooling, right? And th that's the kind of thing. So um, hanging out with the royals would be a normal thing for, for him to do. What is this telling us? Amongst other things, it's telling us that this was a church with very diverse leadership and very diverse gifted, gift, gifted ship. No, that's not a word. Um, giftedness. Gifts. Gifts. All right, I've got to make up a word there. I was <laughs> feeling good about myself. Um, so we've got people from different cultures, different backgrounds, all working together. And we know that they were prophets and teachers. So they have some different gifts which they're using. They don't, you notice in the church in Antioch, they don't have any elders mentioned here. There aren't any elders outside Jerusalem until a bit later. They haven't developed yet. There's an eldership in Jerusalem at this point, but that's as far as it's gone. So we have all these different people. They have uh, different gifts that which benefits the church. The church has these resources and then they Obviously, they have their own, uh, their own uh, giftedness here. Uh, they also turns out that Barnabas and Saul appear to be missionaries, we could say. So prophets, teachers, and it turns out missionaries. They are the two that are sent. And later on, we've got John Mark in this passage, who is described as a helper. That's still an important role, to be a helper. And it makes me think that uh, to be healthy as a church, to develop and grow as a church. We don't have to have all the roles and gifts. We don't have to have an eldership. We don't have to have prophets and teachers. But what we do need to have is we need to know what gifts we have. And we need to use them. And that means, taking a step back from that, you and I need to know what our gifts are personally. And I'd like to ask us just to reflect on that and maybe this week take some time to pray and ask yourself, what are the particular gifts that God has given me that can benefit this congregation and our work as a congregation, our impact as a congregation? Now, those gifts might be skills. They might be to do with your profession. They might be to do with uh, your hobbies. They might be to do with your experiences in life, things we've been through. That's a gift. When we go through something, joyful, easy, or, or hard, those are actually gifts for us to be able to use to benefit other people with. Um, so there are lots of different areas for giftedness. But I, 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 don't, I think it's really important that we personally own, know what they are, and own them and say, yes, God, I want this to be used for you in this congregation and for our, the work you've given us. And if we're not reflecting on what our gifts are, we don't know what they are, they're not going to be used. It's just they're going to stay in the toolbox, aren't they? Never get taken out. So it's just a simple thing, but I think it's so important. One of the reasons why the church was so, in a sense, powerful here and used so much by God is they were aware of the gifts they had, different backgrounds, different giftedness, 
they were aware of it, and it got used, and then the church was built up. Um, to quote Ephesians 4 for us, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, God will give the gifts that this church needs, but we need to know what they are, what we've got, so that they can be used by God. So first of all, we see resources uh, human, and then we see resources spiritual. Uh, the Holy Spirit, they are worshipping and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now we have no idea how the Spirit spoke. We don't know if it was an audible voice. We don't know if it was some kind of inner voice, a dream, a vision. Uh, honestly, no clue. Um, we do not know. But what we do know is that Barnabas and his friends were in a position, in a place where they were able to hear the Spirit when the Spirit spoke. And perhaps that's more important. More important than knowing how the Spirit speaks is being the kind of person with the right kind of disposition such that when the Spirit speaks to, to pers us personally or as a church, that we recognize, ah, that's the voice of the Spirit. That's the direction of the Spirit. And I don't think it's very complicated, really, in that well, all that we know about these people is that they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. That's pretty simple. But I think it can be tempting to overcomplicate things. You know, how do we hear the Spirit's you know, what are, the direction for us? How do we know if we're going the right way? Well, maybe we just need to make sure that we are worshipping and fasting as a habit. It, it seems to me to be a habitual thing here. Because do you notice what they do after they hear? This is something I didn't notice until I restudied this passage. After the, they've been worshipping and fasting, the Spirit speaks, and then what do they do? Now, if it had been me, I think I'd have said, great, the Spirit has spoken, let's get on with it. But they, they, even before that, right, it says that they, they worshipped the Lord and fasted some more. So they're worshipping and fasting, they're praying and fasting, and then they hear from the Spirit, and then they say, oh my goodness, now we know what to do, let's pray some more. Let's worship some more, let's fast some more. I, I, I think it shows us that this, the spiritual perspective they had was deeply embedded in them. And I, I think it's a good corrective to um, impatience or um, over-eagerness, uh, over-pragmatic-natured ways of thinking and acting, that when we know what the Spirit wants us to do, then we should pray some more. We should worship some more. We should fast some more. Deeply embedded in them. And I, I find this you know, a challenging concept. I, um, I like praying, and I do pray and, and all that. I don't do as much fasting. Uh, as I think maybe, I don't know how much I should do, if that's the right way to look at it even, I don't know. But fasting's not, it's not a habitual thing for me. Maybe it should be. Certainly worshipping and praying must be, I think. Um, so here's a thought for us. Very gifted church. 
but very committed to actions of spiritual humility, of, of, of deliberate posture of being listening and surrendered to God. Perhaps the more gifted a church is, the more the temptation to be self-dependent, and thus the more deliberately spiritual we must be. Deliberately. Um, and I would just say this, as I, I think we probably agree, I, I, think, I think the Watford Church is a very gifted group. More gifted per pound than, than most groups I've known of this size. Of this size. I think we're very gifted. And I don't think we should say, oh, no, we're not gifted, we're not that important. That's just denying what God's given us. Let's not do that. I think we are a really gifted group. Lots of experiences, lots of skills. Um, but then I think the question comes is, how, how habitually spiritual are we? How deliberately spiritual? And the word spiritual you know, can be defined different ways. But here, at least, what we see is they were worshipping, praying, fasting. Maybe we need to make that more of our culture. More prayer together, more time in prayer. Not just personally, but perhaps as a whole group or as subgroups of men and women or families. Perhaps more prayer. Perhaps some fasting. Perhaps individually, perhaps together. More worshipping in all the senses that, that worship, collective worship is what he's talking about here. This collective worship. More, more collective worship. So can I ask us to think about that? It's something I'm thinking about. I don't know exactly what it, what it means for me yet. I'm contemplating it, praying about it. We're very gifted. Let's make sure we're very spiritually minded. Or we're just not going to hear the voice of the Spirit. So let's move on to uh, that third thing we see here. The resources are sent. In verses 4 and 5, as Bill, as you said... Once they'd done some more fasting and praying, they lay hands on Barnabas and Saul and send them off. And off they go. Uh, sent, and this is an emphasis by, the, the Luke, by Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, and it's an emphasis by God to help us understand, not just sent by the laying on of hands or by this commissioning humanly, but sent in on their way by the Holy Spirit. That's what he says, right? They went down to Seleucia, sailed to Cyprus, they arrived at Salamis, proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues. John was their helper. We'll go on to look at the impact of that, which is amazing. But I just want to, I wanted us to stop for a moment and think not so much about, about the achievements, but, but not so much about the achievements of, of Paul and Barnabas and the Antioch church, but more about what, was, what lay behind it. What was the foundation upon which God was then able to build something great for his glory? What, should, what does our foundation need to be? As a church, what do, we, what do we need in our foundations such that God will then use us and use the gifts we've got to his glory and the benefit of the world around us? Well, we do need to be willing to go. They were willing to go. I would say that for Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas at that point, um, staying in Antioch would have been more fun. They got their friends around them. It's much more fun to be with your friends. Plus, the work in Antioch is going great. Large numbers of people are becoming Christians. They're maturing people. They're raising people up into 
uh, use their gifts, it appears, because these people aren't mentioned as prophets and teachers, uh, most of them earlier on. So there's, there's some raising up of leadership and gifted people. I mean, it's really going well. But they're willing to go. They're willing to go where no one's been before. Uh, they're willing to go where they don't know what's going to happen next. They're willing to be separated from the bigger group for the sake of, well, obedience to the Spirit. I mean, it's just a humility, isn't it? I mean, it's a faithful, courageous faith, but it's, it's also a humility. The Spirit is sending me, I will go. And, and off they go. They're willing, um, and they, uh, they just make a simple decision to simply go. And so that what occurs to me from this and I'd just share with us something to think about and pray about, is are we consciously going to the places where God is sending us? Do, you, do we see our workplace as a place we, to which we have been sent? Um, our neighborhood, the street we live in, do we see it consciously as a place to which we have been sent? Um, work colleagues, friends, Surely these are the places where God, God's Spirit will and does send, send us. So are we consciously going, knowing, knowing that we're going? That's, okay, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm here, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm going to these places. And I'd really like us to think about where we live in particular. Um, the places we live, like Croxley, uh, Aylesbury. And Leavesden and Chorleywood and Bushy and uh, Chesham and wherever we are, right? Being sent, going consciously. What does it mean to go consciously um, to these places? Because the Spirit is, that's the nature of the Spirit, is the Spirit does send. And we are disciples of Jesus who was sent. And so we, we allow ourselves, we wish to be sent. So where are we going? And who are our partners? Um, Barnabas and Saul go together and they take John Mark. There's the three of them. So they're in a wonderful partnership there, which makes a big difference um, when we're sent uh, by the Spirit. So um, just to wrap up. Did they pick up John? We don't know where they picked him up, but he was a cousin of Barnabas. So he may have been living in Cyprus, yeah. but he also know that his mother lived in Jerusalem. Hmm. He's still called Saul. At this point, he's still called Saul. Yeah. He's not been, had his name changed yet. And I thought he went straight from being nasty to... Well, he was transformed immediately, but his name, for whatever reason, is still Saul in this passage. So when he lost his sight and he came back, hmm. he was still Saul. Mm -hmm. I thought his name changed. Mm-mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So when did his name change? His name changed. Was it on It's soon. It's in this chapter. Chapter 13. Uh, by verse yeah. 13, he's Paul. Is it before that? Yeah. Saul's a very Jewish name. <coughs> um, presumably named after King Saul, one would imagine. So in verse 9... You'll see it says, then Saul, who was also called Paul. So we see that beginning to change there. So yes, I think it's probably a Gentile Jewish field issue. Maybe. The Cretans would have been pagans. 
Yeah, except when they went to synagogues. So they, you know, that was their modus operandi. They'd go to a synagogue first, and then if the synagogue rejected them, which it always did, sooner or later, then they'd go to the pagans. Yeah, they started with the synagogues, at least for the first little while, wherever they found a synagogue. Some places, like Philippi, they didn't find a synagogue. So they went to the river where they expected to find a place to pray in Acts 16, and they started with that. So it depends what they were expecting to find. No, no, it's, it's interesting. So let me wrap up. Um, wrapping up. Three simple points, right? Okay, I didn't want to make it too complicated, but I think, I think sometimes simple is deep. Sometimes simple is profound. So just to flip back through these. So first of all, resource is human. What are your gifts? What has God given you? Please pray and reflect on that this week. What has God given you that can benefit the church and benefit our work as a church? Uh, we've got a lot of resources. Uh, resources spiritual, being habitually the kind of people, the kind of church and the kind of people who uh, seek to pray and fast and worship by default. Something goes badly, we pray, worship, and fast. Something goes great, we pray, worship, and fast. We need the Spirit's voice, we pray, worship, and fast. We've heard the Spirit's voice, we pray, worship, and fast. That's just how we are. So how can we be more of that together? Uh, that's our second question. And then thirdly, uh, going, going places with the Spirit, or being sent by the Spirit, and going with one another to the places where God has given us. I think in Antioch, we have an inspirational disposition of the church. They're in tune with the Spirit. They're using their gifts. They're excited to move forward. They're willing to send their best for God's glory. We see some instructional spirituality in the church in Antioch. They're worshiping, they're praying, they're fasting, and they're commissioning. And we see God do uh, wonderful, wonderful things through them. The church in Antioch is quite amazing. I think we can learn a lot from that church. And I'd encourage us to think about what practically we can implement personally and as a church in the next few days. Thanks very much. Amen.